Hello and welcome. My name is Hannah. I'm with Living from the Overflow and I'm so excited to have you here for the conversation today. We are going to be going back and forth between Luke and Romans and I will be reading from the CSB version once we get into scripture. But before we get too far, let's invite the Holy Spirit into this conversation because we're definitely going to need his wisdom and his insight today to help equip, inspire, and encourage us in our relationship with the Lord. So will you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for your presence in this place through your Holy Spirit. And I just pray right now, Holy Spirit, you would anoint my mind and my words and my heart to be in line with what you have to say, that you would be with people on the other side of this conversation and you would anoint their hearts and their minds and their words as they join this conversation with you. I just pray above all, you would be honored, you would be glorified, and you would be magnified, and that we would come to know you on a deeper and more intimate level by having had this conversation with you. In your name I pray, amen. Just doing a quick check. Okay, good. My mic is on, you guys, you never know. It's always 50-50 if I remember to charge my mic, and then if it's actually set up correctly. <laughs> May the Lord just bless it. Okay, so I'm going to be reading from Luke chapter 8, and I really like this story because I feel like a whole new layer was revealed to me as I was reading through it this week. And so we are going to be talking about knowing, and if we actually know something or if we think we know. And I'm going to get into that in a little bit, what I mean about that. But I want to talk about what happened at the end of Luke chapter 8 when Jesus went to go to Jairus' house to heal his daughter who was sick. By the time Jesus arrived on the scene, it seemed, according to circumstantial evidence, as if he was too late. So that's where I'm going to be picking up on at verse 52 of Luke chapter 8. It says, Everyone was crying and mourning for her, Jairus' daughter. But Jesus said, Stop crying because she's not dead but asleep. They laughed at him because they knew she was dead. So he took her by the hand and called out, Child, get up. Her spirit returned and she got up at once. Then he gave orders that she be given something to eat. Her parents were astounded, but he instructed them to tell no one what had happened. Now, what I like about this story is that, I mean, honestly, <laughs> I see a lot of myself in the spectators Given the circumstantial evidence, they knew Jairus' daughter was dead, right? And so they're like, no, we need to be crying. We need to be mourning. It's actually laughable, even in this moment of grief, that you think she's only sleeping. Like, there's no pulse. There's no breath coming out of her lungs. She, she's dead. By all circumstantial evidence, she's dead. And we know that. But Jesus knew differently because he had a deeper level of knowing than everyone else in the room. And I think so many times, if we're being honest, we're like everyone else in the room. We know based on circumstantial evidence, but we don't know as much as Jesus does. Yet even knowing that we don't know as much as Jesus does, we make assumptions based on what we see. We make decisions based on what we see. We move forward in life based on what we see. We spend our money or we save our money based on what we see. But we're actually not called to live by sight. 
We're called to live by faith. We're called to keep our mindset on things that are above, not on the things of this world. We're actually not called to make decisions based on what we can only see in the natural given our circumstances. And the reason I say that after reading this story is because after doing some digging, I found out that the root meaning of the word no means to perceive something based on your circumstances. You're making decisions by what you see in front of you and how you perceive that to be. We've all done that, right? We look at our weather app and we perceive it's going to be cold outside, so we put a jacket on because we know it's going to be cold. That's what life has taught us. We, we know if we work out, we know that if we eat well, we're just going to feel better, so we make decisions based on that. We know that we're a better person when we prioritize our time in the Word, when we get good sleep, so we prioritize those things and we make decisions around these things. But what if some of the unhealthy aspects of our life, some of the areas where we struggle, some of the areas where we're continuously faced with doubt and discouragement is because we're basing our knowing on circumstantial evidence that we can see and make sense of in the natural instead of relying on Jesus for a deeper level of knowing. That's what these people in Jairus' house did. They're like, no, she's dead. They even corrected Jesus, the son of God, because surely he was wrong. Circumstantially, this is true. And granted, they didn't know at the time. He hadn't publicly announced that he was the son of God yet at this point. But even still, here's this man who's been doing miracles, and none of them have any hope that his miracle could go beyond a physical healing and could go to a physical resurrection. But Jesus knew because Jesus has a deep, intimate knowing that is fully connected to the Father, and he is 100% aware of what the Father can do in and through those who are his children. So Jesus, completely unfazed when they laughed at him because they knew, for those of you just listening, I'm doing air quotes around the word knew, they quote unquote knew she was dead. So what did he do? He didn't even acknowledge their perceived knowledge. He moved forward with his mission because he knew, based on his connection with his father, that she wasn't actually dead, that she truly was just sleeping. And so he said to her, child, get up. And her spirit returned and she got up at once. I think it's really important to, to just recognize here that even when we think we know, it's really important to ask Jesus, what do you know? What do you see? What do you perceive? Because especially in times of discouragement or defeat or doubt or despair, when we feel those things because of what we can see in the natural, it's very important that we go to Jesus and say, but what do you know? What do you say? What do you want to do? What am I not seeing that you see? And odds are he sees an amazing opportunity for our spirits to be revived and renewed and resurrected by his power that works in us in the same way that God worked his power when he resurrected Jesus from the dead. It's very important that we question our knowledge in light of the gospel and we start asking questions in times of discouragement and defeat and doubt. We start asking questions along the lines of, 
Jesus, do I know like you know, or am I knowing based on what I can see in the natural? And is there some other dimension here that you want to reveal to me? With that in mind, I want to flip over to Romans chapter 6, and I'm going to be picking up at verse 6. And it says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless, so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin, since a person who has died is freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him, because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will not die again. Death no longer rules over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all time, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you too consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. First of all, this is an incredibly powerful passage. I absolutely love this passage and I've been soaking it in and I've been abiding in it and I have been reading it over myself several times a day because I want to come to know and I want to come to believe that I'm living with Christ right now. And as a result, all of my old self, all of my weaknesses, all of my sin is dead and rendered powerless. I wanna know that on a deep and intimate level with Jesus. I don't wanna know it on a surface circumstantial level. I wanna know it in my knower. I wanna know it in the depths of who I am, the core of who I am in a way that infiltrates the way I think, the way I feel and the way I choose to do this life. And maybe you want that too. And so I want to give you something really encouraging here. Unlike the root meaning of the word know in Luke chapter 6, which is a knowing that is a perception based on circumstances, based on what we can see in the natural. The root meaning of the word know here in Romans 6 is to intimately know. To know in every aspect, every dimension, every possibility, in every scenario, you deeply know and are deeply rooted to this truth in a way that gives us the confidence to say, yes, sin no longer has a hold on me. Now, that's it's not an arrogant, I'll never sin. It's not a, a passive or a naive or even a foolish thing to say, I'm no longer a slave to sin. That's not what it's saying. What it's saying is that we deeply know that because of the work Christ accomplished on the cross, that sin no longer has power and dominion over us. Sin no longer gets to dictate who we are and who we become. Sin no longer gets to label us and shame us and define who we are and dictate the choices that we will make. It doesn't have that kind of power anymore. Sin serves one purpose and one purpose only after we come into relationship with Christ. And its purpose is to reveal to us the areas of our heart, the areas of our mind, the areas of our soul, the areas of our life that are not pleasing to God and are holding us back. That's the only purpose sin serves. It is not our master anymore. It doesn't get to dictate the choices we make and how we live our life, what we're addicted to, what we're not addicted to, what we're intentional with, what we're passive with, what we get angry about, what we get bitter about, what we are impatient over, and what we don't have grace for. It doesn't get to dictate that anymore because it's been rendered powerless and we can know that in such an intimate way because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross, it's not a perceived 
circumstantial, evidence-based knowing. It is a faith-filled, promise-given kind of knowing that will never change. This kind of knowing doesn't change based on our circumstances. It's been sealed and it's been accomplished and it's been set in stone because of what Jesus did on the cross. And when we can come to grasp this truth that we really do know that we're dead to sin, but we are alive in Christ, it completely changes everything. It changes what we expect out of ourselves. It changes how we navigate challenging situations. It changes how we walk through hardship. It changes how we walk through incredible discouragement and disappointment. It changes how we navigate our own personal failures, our own personal weaknesses, and our own personal sin. Because when we take the Bible at face value and we start to apply it, we realize we're promised a guaranteed knowing that our sin has been rendered powerless and its effect on our lives when we actually come to know and believe that we're alive with Christ. And we are alive with Christ in the same way he is alive to God, which means we are completely connected to God because of Christ. There's no more separation. We are made in the image of God as humans. God made us in his image and God made us to desire a relationship and only God can fill that, that desire within us. And as a result, when we walk into a relationship with him through Jesus Christ, we become image bearers of the creator of this universe. And as image bearers of God, sin has no power over us. It only has the power that we give to it. When we take a look at verse 9, it says, We know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will not die again. Death no longer rules over Christ. And the kind of death that this verse is pointing to, it's, it's pointing to death three different times. So it's very important that we acknowledge, oh, this must be important, so I'm going to take note. And the kind of death it's talking about is physical and spiritual. Physical death, it, we're, we're, our bodies are dead in the ground, right? Like our, body, our body's dead, it's not breathing, our heart's not beating, there's no more pulse, we're just dead physically, in every aspect of the word. Jesus died a physical death like that. He really did. But he also died a spiritual death on our behalf. And the reason I'm getting emotional about this is because the moments in my life when I'm struggling to hear from God or I'm, I'm struggling to gain clarity and I feel confused and all wrapped up and trapped in my own mind, those days are literally my living hell. And Jesus experienced that fully for us so that we will never, ever have to experience that in its fullness. And I think it's really important to acknowledge that Jesus paid a very high price for us physically and spiritually so that you and I would never have to experience that in his fullness. Jesus experienced literal separation from God spiritually when he went into the depths of hell to pay the loan payment that our debt generated that we could never pay for ourselves. Jesus Christ, the perfect son of God, was spiritually and physically dead. 
And then he rose again. He experienced spiritual death on our behalf for us and as us. So when we're having a rough day or a rough couple of days or weeks or months or maybe year, and we just cannot seem to connect intimately with God, maybe we should open up Romans 6. I'm just... This might seem insensitive, but maybe we should get a perspective check, a reality check on understanding that it really could be far worse. We really could be actually spiritually dead and actually completely separated from God. A lot of the times, the reason that we're separated from God and we're having a hard time hearing him is because we've given sin power in our lives it has no business having. Because when we know intimately Not a perceived knowing based on our circumstances, but we know deeply that sin actually has been rendered powerless over us and it can't be our master unless we allow it to be. Things start to change. We start to realize that the freedom we've been granted isn't just this fluffy unicorn rainbow stars and glitter fleeting moment. It is meant to be a lifestyle Our sin was crucified with Christ so it could be rendered powerless in our life. And so that we would never have to experience spiritual separation from God, even on this side of heaven. We don't have to wait till we die physically and and go to heaven to be spiritually united and spiritually alive to God. You and I get to experience that right here, right now, because of what Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross. And it takes our perceived knowing and it completely and radically changes it to actually I know what is sinful and I know that can't have power over me anymore because of what Christ accomplished on the cross and I actually right now get to be united with God. I get to be a mirror of him. I get to glorify him. I get to pursue magnifying him instead of magnifying my circumstances. Paul goes on to say in verse 12, Therefore, don't let sin reign in your mortal bodies so that you obey its desires. And don't offer any parts of it to sin as weapons for unrighteousness. But as those who are alive from the dead. So if you are alive physically and spiritually because of the price Jesus paid for you, offer yourself to God and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. For sin will not rule over you because you're not under the law, you're under grace. What if we just woke up every morning and said, I'm under grace today. Grace hovers over me. Grace hovers around me. It goes before me, behind me, above me, below me. It makes me emotional because I don't think we really realize the grace we're covered in. And so we spend so much of our life clawing and and crawling and gripping and grasping our way through for just one more inch of freedom. And Paul says right here, just don't obey the desires of sin. Don't offer any parts of yourself to sin that it could be used as a weapon for unrighteousness. Unrighteousness is to be separated from God. Unrighteousness is the way of the enemy. So don't willingly offer yourself up for use for the enemy. Just don't do it. (laughs) It's not so simple because it is. When a thought pattern comes our way that's ungodly, when a feeling comes our way that's not in line with truth, 
When a temptation comes our way that causes us to consider wandering from the righteousness of God, all we have to say is, um, I'm dead to that. That part of me, it doesn't exist anymore. And where I'm weak, Jesus is strong. Where I'm powerless, he's powerful. Where I don't think I can take another step forward in the right direction, he says that he actually will give me wings like eagles and I can soar instead. I don't think we really comprehend what we have available to us right here, right now in Christ Jesus. Because if we did, we would truly understand on an intimate level that regardless of what our circumstances say, sin has no more power over us. So when we can get this, this picture in our mind that our desires can either be used as weapons for unrighteousness or our desires can be used as weapons for the kingdom of God, for righteousness against unrighteousness, it really generates an incredible mindset and an incredible viewpoint of how to navigate the temptations of this life, how to navigate when sin comes knocking at our door, how to navigate um, when emotions tempt us to wander from the presence of God, how to navigate when we don't feel like being disciplined in prioritizing spending time in God's presence, when we don't feel like being disciplined with our words, when we don't feel like being disciplined in our actions toward others. We are called to be weapons on behalf of the kingdom of God, on behalf of the kingdom of righteousness. But we can't do that if we only circumstantially know and perceive what's going on around us. So I just want to get really practical because I think that's where we can really take these concepts from the Bible and start to be transformed by them. You know, we're called to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And so I think that's a great place to start. If we're struggling with a sin pattern and we are struggling hardcore to not give in to temptation, starting by transforming our mind by the renewing of it by using the word of God is a great place. And so I'm in, I'm in a group with a bunch of ladies right now. And the last time we met, we wrote out truth statements based on the word of God. And our challenge to each other was to read these out loud every day at least once a day, if not five, six, 10, 15, 20 times a day. We can renew our minds with the word of God. You know, in Psalm 119, it says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. God's word is a primary defensive and offensive weapon when sin comes knocking, when temptation comes knocking, when the enemy comes knocking. And so when we can use his word and we can just declare things like, I'm dead to sin. Sin has been rendered powerless in my life. I'm not under law. I'm under grace. I am a vessel for the kingdom. I'm covered in the righteousness of Christ. And we can verbally start declaring these things out loud. It changes our knowing from being circumstantial to our knowing being intimate and united and tied to and in union with Christ. So that would be, that would be my, my first practical tip. My second practical tip would be to pray. And I'm not talking, I mean, you can pray however you want, but I think that a lot of us sometimes can think of praying as kneeling at our bedside with our hands folded and our eyes closed and praying this well-formulated prayer. Honestly, my prayer life is not like that and everyone's is unique, but my prayer life involves a lot of questions and a lot of listening. 
Lord, I'm scared right now. What are, what are you, what, what is my fear trying to tell me? What lie am I believing that fear is being generated right now? Because your word says your love is perfect and that perfect love casts out all fear, but I have fear right now. So what is my fear trying to tell me that's not actually in line with what's true? And I sit and I listen and I don't overthink it. I'm like, whatever comes to my mind is what I write down. Sometimes it's a song. Sometimes it's a picture. Sometimes it's, it's an impression. It's just thought. Sometimes it is the voice of God. That one's rare for me, but God can speak to us in multiple ways. So I just ask him questions. What is my fear trying to say to me right now? Why is anxiety rising up within me? What, what is, what is my body trying to tell me right now? God's our, our counselor. There's no reason we can't ask him these questions. So we ask questions and he tells us just this morning. I was like, Lord, why am I so afraid? And he gave me five, six, seven, eight different reasons why I was walking in fear. And I was like, well, that's very insightful. Thank you. <laughs> What's the truth? And he tells me the truth. My perfect love casts out fear. You need to care and be far more immersed in my love than anything else. I'm like, okay. And then that takes our knowing from circumstantial because fear is circumstantial. People typically, maybe I'm wrong. I think I'm making a blanket statement here, but people don't typically walk around in fear 100% of the time. Usually fear is triggered by something. It's a warning system that goes off in our bodies. And it's a very common warning system for very many people. So when we can take that warning system that our circumstances are trying to tell us something and we go to Jesus with it. It takes our knowing of what the peace is that surpasses all understanding, that kind of peace, that kind of assurance, that kind of confidence we have in Christ. It takes that knowing from being a perceived circumstantial evidence-based knowing to a deep union-based, united with Christ kind of knowing that this world and its circumstances cannot touch. So getting in the word, Praying by asking God questions and listening to what he says and recording it and responding to him. And then thirdly, repentance is huge. Confession and repentance are huge in taking our knowing from being circumstantial, perspective, and evidence-based to being, no, I deeply, I deeply know this. I deeply know that I am loved beyond all measure. I deeply know that grace knows no bounds. I deeply know and believe that all of my sins are forgiven and my accusers can stand and talk to me no more. These kinds of things, these kinds of knowings come about when we confess and we repent and we turn in a new direction. We say, Lord, I, I don't actually believe that you love me beyond all measure. I actually believe that I have to work hard for it. And we repent and we say, I believe, help my unbelief, help me turn in a new direction. What do you say is true? And Jesus will tell us what's true. He's a truth teller. He loves to tell us what's true. And so it's just so amazing to me how being in the word, praying and how confession and repentance and listening to God, what he has to say about what's actually true, that takes our knowing from the people in Jairus's house who knew his daughter was dead, but Jesus knew deeper that she actually was just asleep and he was going to wake her up again. It takes our knowing from that kind of level, from being circumstantial, evidence-based, all on perspective by what we can see with the human eye and what we can comprehend with our human brains, to being a supernatural, deep, abiding, intimate, united with Christ kind of knowing. 
So we want to pursue this deep, intimate, abiding with Christ kind of knowing because it changes everything. It's literally what gives us the power to believe what's written in the word and declare, yeah, sin has been rendered powerless over me. I, that's, that's not my master anymore because I believe I died with Christ and I am now alive with him and I live a life for God. I live life as a mirror of who God is. And I live my life pursuing more of him and magnifying him and glorifying him. That's the purpose of my life. So I truly believe I'm dead to sin because I'm alive to God. And I no longer will be used as a weapon for unrighteousness for the kingdom of darkness. Instead, I'm going to intentionally pursue becoming a weapon of righteousness for the kingdom of God. Because I know that I know that I know that I am one with Christ which therefore means I died with him and I rose again and sin has been rendered powerless in my life. With that being said, let's enter into some prayer because I think what we just covered was a little bit, <laughs> a little bit intense and I just want to take some time and make some more space for the Holy Spirit to come and have his way. Holy Spirit, we thank you for the word. God, we thank you for the gift of the word. Jesus, we thank you that you are the word. We thank you that your word shows us that when we believe that we died with Christ and rose again, that it makes us dead to sin in the here and now and alive to God in the here and now. I pray, Lord, that if we have been living our life um, with circumstantial knowing instead of deep abiding knowing, that you would convict us of that, that we would be quick to confess it and turn from it and walk in deeper union with you, that you would show us Jesus, that you would teach us, Holy Spirit, how to walk in a deep abiding knowing where our confidence is rooted in you, where we truly know and believe that you do love us beyond all measure, where we can look at the Bible and say, well, this verse says that perfect love casts out fear, so I don't have to be afraid anymore. That we would take our emotions as the warning signals that they are and not confuse them with truth tellers because they're not always very truthful. Holy Spirit, we invite you to reveal any area of our life where we've made assumptions that are not in line with the gospel truth, that are not in line with the truth that Jesus came to save and to set us free and that he did not come to shame us. Jesus, we believe. Help our unbelief. Help us to be dead to the right things and alive to the right things. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you so much for joining me for this week's conversation. I pray that it left you feeling more equipped, inspired, and encouraged in your walk with God. And if it did, I invite you to follow along so that you don't miss the next conversation. So until next time, I'll see you later.